Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Well, I want you to go ahead as you're uh, passing the offering baskets, go ahead and get your Bibles out, get some notes out, because I, I hope there are some things in here that you'll want to jot down today. I want to welcome those of you who are online. I've already welcomed you in the chat rooms on the, all the different uh, systems that we're on, but I want to welcome everyone. I, I believe God has a word for you today, and God is going to speak directly to your heart one way or another. But locate James chapter 5, verse 14 in your Bibles. Hold it, and then please understand, when we get there, I'm going to slowly go through several verses. So, so you want to stay at James 5, 14, be ready to go, and we're going we're to examine some passages there. This is the second message in a series of sermons that I've entitled, A Sound Mind. And in this series, I'm addressing five different topics, depression, uh, grief, codependence, addiction, anxiety, and you know, how, what those things are, how they impact us, and how to deal with them from a biblical Christian perspective. Now, I know that there's a lot of information that's out there on the World Wide Web about this, and that's fine. That's good. But I, I, and I'm not going to address all the stuff that's out there because there's a lot of good resources. I want to talk to you about what the Word of God says and how, how the power of God affects and impacts all of these different areas. So uh, really this is about, uh, also about how to support and encourage someone you love who is struggling with one of these things, one or more of them. How do you support? How do you encourage? And another thing that you can do is to share the podcast, share, the, uh, uh, share these episodes, share them with other people, help get it out there. But again, my focus is a biblical Christian perspective. And the theme of this series is summed up in two brief sentences, and here they are. Get this in your heart and get it written down. It's okay to not be okay. Now, that's the first part. Let me pause on that one. This is not saying that there's, I'm not, I'm not making an excuse for sin, but the, the truth is we all come to God as we are. So in the here and now, it's okay to not be okay, but that's the transition word. It's not okay to stay that way. So we want to change because God always leads us into change. Now, Today I want to show you a little continuum of how things can tend to build up uh, when, when it comes to some of these, these issues that we face in life. And, and really at the foundation of all of these that I'm going to be talking about in this series called A Sound Mind is fear and worry. Now fear or worry, worry is a part of fear in a biblical sense. And, uh, and last week I talked more about that, about how the spirit of fear uh, and, and how that can undermine so much in our lives. It's the root of a lot of things. We know the scripture says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a what? Sound mind. Okay. So, so, but if fear and worry is not dealt with, it can lead to anxiety, which is that next level. Fear and worry 
moves over to anxiety many times. Now, we talked about anxiety last, uh, last week, and, and, and a certain amount of anxiety is very normal, and that's, just, that's, that's, that's part of life, and it's not unhealthy, but there can be excess anxiety. Uh, for example, I told you last week that typically on, on Saturday nights, I don't sleep very well, and, and Sunday, Sundays, I, I always have just a little bit of a low level of anxiety. It's not intense anxiety, but it's, it's always been there, and, and I, I learned to live with it. It's funny because I, I was thinking about sharing this in my sermon last Sunday. I was going to talk about how, you know, sometimes when you feel anxiety, like when you were a kid, a, a sign of anxiety is that you'll have a dream that you, that you like, go to school, and you're, you're in your underwear or something like that. I don't know if you ever had dreams, dreams like that. I did. Okay, I, I want to tell you the truth. I had the weirdest dream this morning. This, this, is, this is a dream in the early morning hours. I dreamed that Rebecca and I had driven to, the, to church, and we arrived here at 5.30 a.m., which is not unusual. It's a little earlier than what I typically arrive, but, but, but uh, she was with me for some odd reason in the dream. And so, so we're showing up here at the church, and then we're getting out of the car, and I realized that, that I was wearing my bathrobe, that I had forgotten <laughs> to get dressed for church. And, and I looked at it and I said, I can't believe it. And she looked at me and she says, what were you thinking? I was like, obviously I wasn't thinking. And, and we, so we had this interaction and, and I start looking at the time. I was like, well, in two hours we'll have the, the staff prayer and, and that. And I said, I would really like to be dressed by then. But that's when I realized in the dream that we lived an hour away. And so, so I said, well, sweetheart, will you, will you go home and will you get my clothes and bring them back? And, and maybe like that would be two hours later, I would have my clothes. And, and if I'm still in my robe when, the, when everybody shows up for prayer, yeah, I can just still sit behind my desk or something like that. And I don't know. I, w- I was trying to make sense of it all, and she was so nice. She said, sure thing, Tim. Now, again, in real life, I don't live an hour away. I used to a long time ago, but I don't now. And you went to get my clothes, and, and the dream ended up really well. So thank you so much. You saved, you saved my day. <laughs> but that is, I haven't had a dream like that in, in ages. But that's how just low-level anxiety works, and it sometimes manifests in your dreams. And when I woke up this morning, I thought, that is the most hilarious thing ever. And then as I was preparing, just going through this morning, I thought, I, I just have to share it. I just have to tell you guys, because... I deal with this kind of stuff too. But now if, if the, the anxiety moves to a higher level and it stays there, anxiety can lead to depression. So it works like this. Fear and worry can bring anxiety. Anxiety can lead to depression. And what happens is, is when it gets to that point, the depression then can accelerate the anxiety, which accelerates the fear and the worry, and it becomes a vicious cycle. And this is a place where a lot of people get stuck. It, it becomes a vicious cycle, and it can be absolutely debilitating. Um, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, talk a lot about that today. But if you don't deal with depression, it can lead to another level, which is suicidal thoughts. So, again, follow the continuum here. Fear and worry to anxiety can cause depression, can cause suicidal thoughts. And if suicidal thoughts are not dealt with, it can lead to suicide itself. We all struggle with fear and worry to some degree, uh, but very few, very few actually go all the way to suicide. But I've held, as a pastor, five funerals 
for suicide victims. Four men and one woman. One woman. And uh, in every single case, knowing the stories, it was basically following this same continuum. And suicide happens, and it is not pretty at all. At all. Statistically, men men commit suicide at an extremely higher rate than women. Four times higher than women. And another interesting statistic, 54% of all suicides happen to people who are beyond retirement age of all. And then there's another statistic. At the same time, the second leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 35, the second leading cause of death in the United States right now is suicide for that particular age group. Even three and a half years ago, Rebecca and I, we were at a minister's conference in D.C. And while we were there, we received a phone call. And it was devastating. Shocked us. Because our brother-in-law took his own life. Uh, We dropped everything. We called the airline saying, please, this is a family emergency. We have to get out of town now. And the airlines worked with us. We jumped on the next flight out. We made it home. As soon as we got here, we, we just took our, left our luggage in the car and we went straight down to New Braunfels where the family was. They're dealing with uh, a family that was in intense pain that evening. Um, the, his daughters were beside themselves. His wife was going through unbelievable agony. Suicide hit our own family. And it's painful. The fallout was just absolutely devastating. So today I'm talking about dealing with depression. That was the initial title of my message, but early in the week I changed it to dealing with depression and suicide. I think it's important that we add that in. I just want to do a little survey here. Uh, I mean, how many of you have personally dealt with or maybe are dealing with uh, any of this with depression or even thoughts of suicide or you know of someone who is dealing or struggling with depression or thoughts of suicide or you have known someone who has dealt with depression or thoughts of suicide? Who do you want to raise your hand? Look, hey, look around, look around, look around at all the hands. That's 98% in my opinion. This message is relevant to all of you. And if you didn't lift your hand, you're going to run into somebody, at least who will. Or you may struggle from this uh, on your own. So let's talk about depression. What is it anyway? Well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's, it's just this overwhelming feeling of hopelessness. It's a feeling that there's nothing you can even do to make your situation better. It's where you feel like you've hit rock bottom. Uh, depression is not having a bad day. We all have a bad day. Depression is you are in a bad state. It's very different from sadness. Sadness is a normal human emotion. It's an important emotion. It's necessary, but this is way beyond sadness. You can really break the word depression down into two, into two parts. Depression, and it is, it is a pressing down. It's just like you're, 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 you're pressed down, and, and you even have a loss of normal daily function. Uh, worry takes over. 
when you're in depression, you just can't bounce back because it's like the system is down. Like there's no power to fuel the system. The system is unplugged. Uh, quite often, eating and sleeping patterns shift and they change. Uh, you've lost the pleasure of just doing the things you used to enjoy. Uh, concentration, decision-making, it becomes very poor. And you can also begin to have thoughts of death. Depression is not a beautiful topic. But where better to talk about it than the church? So let's talk about it. I'm going to share with you a little bit of my story, Tim Woody's story. And today I'm going to be very vulnerable. In a sense, I'm going to like take off my shirt and show you my scars. Not really, but <laughs> I want to talk to you just a little bit about this. 23 years ago, I uh, resigned a wonderful staff pastor position where I had served in, uh, in that county over there that starts with the D, Dallas County, you know, those, those people over there. And uh, I had I, resigned. I'd, stayed, I'd been on the staff for many years, and I resigned that. It was a wonderful large church, and, and I began pastoring my, uh, my own church as a senior pastor, a lead pastor up in northwest Missouri, and it, it was also a large church. But one thing that I didn't know about the culture of that community until I had gotten there and been there for a while is the culture of the community was very, very angry at its core. Now, this is, that was kind of strange to me because I'm from Texas. Like, we're just, we're just happy around here. I know, as y'all are coming from New York, you just like, everybody's just happy here. What is the problem? That's just how we are. It's all right. I'm a Texan. It's just, you, yeah, yeehaw. Let's throw your cowboy hat in the air. And stars at night are big and bright deep in the heart of Texas. I love life, and I love having a good time. But these people were not that. So it was strange for me uh, because, again, I, I just kind of like to be happy. I like to laugh. But, but anyway, while we were there, I, I started an outreach program. One of the outreach programs we launched was a weekly television program on our local ABC affiliate there in town. And at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, we would broadcast our, uh, an edited version of our, of our church service. And, and so word got out in the community. And, and what I didn't anticipate at that time was the multitude of angry haters that were out there just looking for someone to shoot at. Like, who can we put a target on and start shooting at them? And I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't experienced with this. I wasn't accustomed to this. Neither was my family. But man, the whole family got drugged through this. And, and, and one of the interesting things about that is, is quite often the culture of the city can be found in the culture of a local church. Well, we had that in our church. There was a lot of that just, this, uh, just seething anger. And people were just kind of like generally angry. It's, it's, you, sometimes I would preach what I thought was a wonderful sermon, and people would come up there and say, well, he, I don't agree with any of that you shared. And I don't think, I mean, I, one of my favorite ones was a person right afterwards, I talked about faith. It's faith, what you cannot see. You know, that's, that's faith. And they said, well, the Missouri motto is this, is that, show me yeah we are the show me state you have to show me first before i believe it i said well that's not biblical well that's missouri so that's what i believe i'm like okay dude if you don't believe that just whatever but 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 there were i mean much more intense stuff but i tried to stay happy and optimistic but i could feel the fear and the worry begin to take hold of me because of the way people were acting out of you know Definitely within the local church, but, but in the community as well. Well, this led to anxiety. <clears throat> and I found myself 
working hard to try to please people, even though I was telling myself I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do this, but my anxiety, I found, it began to control me more and more. In fact, I didn't want to go out in public. And really, neither did any of our family because our whole family was targets. Uh, so, so we would drive 50 miles away. We would go 50 miles away to shop, to do business, to go to the doctor. And, and what I now know is that I was actually doing that to escape. It, it was escapism for me. Uh, and, and then something else hit me. I started recalling my past. I started recalling when I was about, about 9, 10, 11 years old when, uh, when my dad was pastoring a particular church that had a very similar city culture and church culture. And I started re- remembering all of these mean things that people did to me when I was a kid that I thought was like way, way behind me. And, 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 and now... And mean things that would happen to my family and to the, in the church, and I started started thinking I'm kind of like living out this nightmare now in my adulthood. Yet it's actually like a hundred times greater than it was when I was a child. So it's like my past had come to haunt me, and I don't didn't know quite how to deal with this. I would pray, I would worship more, I would sing more, and I would I would read the scriptures, but but I I, I suppressed it a lot because. You know, I, I had a church to pastor. I had to get up there every Sunday and, and preach, and, and, and I had a staff to lead. And, and plus, you know, I'm, pastors wear Teflon. We are. You know, we just, like, you can throw things at us, it bounces off, and we just smile. You know, I, we, you're, you're not allowed to have flaws when you're a pastor. So I found myself, but that's, that, you know that's not true, but there's truth to that. I, uh, I slowly began to slip into depression, and not even realizing it, I, I, I didn't quite know how to handle it. It bled over into my family, and, and the only thing that would ease my depression, now that I look back, I was able to see all of this clear later on, was that I, I literally had to escape out of town, not just go shopping out of town or the doctor, but to escape. So I began to intentionally set up speaking engagements and conferences and missions projects and staff searches that would, where I would be able to get in an airplane and leave the area and then come back. And, and I was great when I was away, but as soon as I would be driving back into town, all of a sudden that would all come back. And it would feel like it was even heavier then. I saw myself beginning to uh, see life through a lens of negativity myself. I, I began to see myself as rejected by the community. And no matter how hard I tried, hateful people still rose up against me or against my family or against my church. And, and I thought this is the most bizarre thing in the world. And I didn't realize it, but what was happening to me at the time is I was, a la- I was pushing these stress hormones into my system, and, and they begin to break down your neurotransmitters in your brain. And, and so that means information is not able to be transmitted easily in your brain, which is why the feelings of depression actually happen. But I just kept praying. I kept worshiping. I worked harder. I did whatever I could do to make people happy and to be a good husband and a good father. And, and we had a wonderful group of elders that just that lifted us up and encouraged us. And, and, and I would tell occasionally some other people outside, some other ministers, like, wow, you know, how do you survive that city? How do you survive with the stuff you're going through? I said, well, you know what? We have a great group of elders, and, and they really are my encouragement. But all the time, at the same time, the church was expanding. I mean, we, we, we had new buildings, we had new projects, and we developed 
uh, our 25 acres. We set up a 24-7 prayer ministry, a second campus, and we set up a, a young adult leadership academy. So everyone who was looking in from the outside, if they didn't know really what was happening with me, they would say, wow, there's just so much success here. Lives are being changed. People were being impacted, but no one out there knew that on the inside I was collapsing and depression was actually shutting me down, but I didn't even know what it was. Well, God eventually released me from that ministry, and, but, but my last two years there were so unhealthy, and I worked so hard, it drained me emotionally, it drained me physically, and at, when, at, when I left, I was totally empty. I was more empty than I even thought I was. After resigning the church in, uh, in Missouri, I came back home to Texas. That's uh, Where do you go? You go back home, right? So I came back home to Texas, and we moved our stuff into this 80-year-old uh, farmhouse, uh, which is deep in the woods. It's a mile drive down, down a, a, a dirt road into the deep in the woods in Midlothian. Like, this is like a total change of everything. Here we go. Uh, we're still close enough to the city, but I'm away from everything. And, and then we shoved all of our stuff into that house with the moving truck left it in boxes and said, tomorrow we're going to go to Mexico. See, uh, one of the blessings that we had in our family is, is my wife's brother is a developer in the Puerto Vallarta area, and so he owns property down there. And we were able just to like, just get in, the, get in the truck and start driving, and so we did. We all piled in, and, and we headed down there, and, and the goal was just to refresh for a few weeks, which was really a good plan. We needed to be away from everything to refresh. And... But I found myself going out to the beach, and I would just cry and cry and cry. I wouldn't let anybody see it. I didn't want my family to see it because I was beginning to realize how sick I was. I didn't want them to see how sick I was. I tried to keep hiding it, but of course, there's always someone who's really close to you, my wife, my wonderful wife, who knows things are not well here. But, but the best way I can describe it is emotionally, I felt like I was sprinting in a marathon. That's not possible, but, but it's like I was sprinting in this marathon, and I'd come to the finish line, and I had collapsed on the concrete, on the asphalt, and I, I had slid across the asphalt. This, is, this was the image that was in my mind while I was on the beach. And I was, had broken bones. I had, had a bruised and bleeding body. I could hardly breathe, and, and, and I, I was just there. I, I could not get up. So there it was at the beachfront paradise. Beautiful place. Punta de Mita, Mexico. Nice place. They're kind of dealing with some hurricane stuff right now, but beautiful place. And that's the first time thoughts of suicide began to enter my mind. And Ian, this is the first time you've even heard of any of this, because I, I don't talk much about this, but is it okay if I talk openly? Right. I see, I, uh, I entertained thoughts that were wrong. I entertained thoughts of abandoning my family that I loved so much and disappearing. Now, now, don't make fun of me, but the plan was really ridiculous. It shows how your brain doesn't work. Uh, my, my plan was ridiculous because I would be out on the beach, and I would watch these guys, these, these, these Mexican national guys. They would go, and they would jump into the water. They would go through the surf, and they would go somehow catch fish, and then they would bring these fish back. And I would watch them. I was like, I could do that. I, 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 you know, a little fish. I can eat some fish. Sushi? That's all right. And so I started my mind started going in that direction 
And, and I thought, I could just, just become like a beach bum and just live off the land. And, and then, then I could, my brain was saying this, I could, just, I could just do drugs and then die of a drug overdose. Yeah. Your Teflon pastor was thinking that. 12 years, 14 years ago now. And I, I, here's the funny thing is I don't even speak Spanish. Like, I, 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 just a few words. And, and even worse is I don't do drugs. I'm scared of drugs. In fact, needles, I, I, am, I, do, I won't even, I don't want anyone to put a needle in me for anything. It's like, no, no, needles are of the devil. I know they're not, but that's how I feel. So, so here I am, I'm, I'm in this quandary, but, I'm, but that's where my mind has gone. About 14 days into our trip, I packed a bag. I took the keys to one of the other properties my brother-in-law owns, and I literally left with a plan to arrange it all. Rebecca knew I was bad. I'll never forget that moment. She begged me to not leave. And, uh, and then she said, when she saw that I was, I was going to leave anyway, she said, well, when will you be back? And I, I remember giving her the answer, I don't know. But, but I, it's like, I want her to have some plenty of cash. And so I was like, here's some cash. And, and I was gone. And this is before you're texting people and all that kind of stuff. I, so there was none of that. I was sick. I did not have a sound mind. Now, hear me well. That is not where God wants you to be. See, I'm, I, when it comes to those thoughts of suicide, that's, that's a dangerous place to be. And the truth is, statistically, some of you are there right now. Let's talk about suicide a little bit. I, <clears throat> I'm often asked, is suicide an automatic ticket to hell? Well, I want to give you the honest answer. You don't go to hell because you commit suicide. You go to hell because you don't know Jesus, period. Now, some of you are like... Thank God, now I can follow through with it. No, don't, 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 all right? Don't. You don't, you don't. I want you to feel all relieved and happy about this because, hear me well, that is not God's plan for your life. It's not. Now, but let me explain this to you because where does this come from? First of all, I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson. This, this actually comes from medieval Catholic tradition. And the Catholic tradition uh, said you have to have all of your sins forgiven before you die, because if not, then uh, you're going to go to hell. And then they could also do this thing called last rites after you've died to make sure that the sin was taken care of. But, but if you commit suicide, I mean, good luck with that. So you don't have an opportunity to confess it. So suicide is an automatic ticket to hell. That's what, that's what that was. Well, understand this. I want you to switch over to today's world. If you're going to use that man- mentality, you'd have to apply it to everyday life. Let's say you're driving down wonderful interstate, uh, let's say Interstate 30. You're going down Interstate 30, and you probably are going in that direction. You know, going, going like out of downtown Fort Worth, in between, going over there in that 
Arlington, Grand Prairie area, and we love those guys over there, but it just, get, it just gets a little weird even over to the edge of Dallas. And let's say all of a sudden you realize your exit is up ahead. Now, we're nice good city people. We know how the lanes work, and sometimes you have to cross five lanes and 100 yards, and how am I going to do this? And so you, your, your speed limit is 65, so you accelerate to 66, and you punch 67 just barely, and, and you're going, and you're, you're going, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to but bam, you slam into this pole, and you crush your car. And as, as all that's happening, you cuss and you take God's name in vain and, and then and, and, and you're dead. I mean, bam, you're, you're killed instantly. You see, with that same mentality, you didn't have a chance to ask God to forgive you and you had sinned. So, well, shouldn't have tried to take that exit. You're going to hell. Do you see how ridiculous that is? Again, you don't go to hell for committing suicide. You go to hell because you do not know Jesus, period. And, and suicide also uh, has its origins in depression. It does. And depression is a sickness. It is. It is a sickness. Interestingly enough, last couple of years, we would do everything to prevent ourselves from getting a sickness called COVID. We would do everything possible. And I know that's worn off now. But what are we doing to protect ourselves from this other sickness that is the second leading cause of death for ages 10 through 35? Doesn't even come close to the COVID numbers. You hear me? Okay. This, that's why this is serious business. That's why we need to talk about it in the church. Depression is a sickness. Now, so if it's a sickness, what does the New Testament say about sickness? That's why I'm going to have you now look in your Bibles. Look at James chapter 5, verse 14. We're going to start there. It starts off here saying, Is anyone, anyone among you sick? That word sick is very, very, very general. It's just general. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church. Stop right there. <laughs> Hold your place. I know some of you said, wait call on people in the church. There's no way I am not going to let anyone in the church know that I am struggling with anxiety or depression. And the, the truth is, a lot of times we feel that way because in some churches, not this one, but in some churches, it's you're okay until you have a problem and it becomes known that you have a problem, like uh, maybe a, a marriage that, that's, that's, that's struggling or an alcohol addiction. And the last place some people would want to go is to other people in the church because you, you know that, that uh, if you're going to take to them your issues of, of, uh, of anxiety or worry or depression or suicidal thoughts or anything that would have to do with any form of mental illness, I mean, you're asking for trouble because you would be blackballed and gossiped about and kicked out, many times kicked out. Now, hear me well. If you tell those people that, that, that can happen in some settings. But around here, that's not the way it works. Around here, how does it work? Those of you who have been around here for a while, you know it works this way. Here it is. It's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. And that second part is really, really important. Because we're all growing. We're all being healed. We're all stretching and, and being delivered and, and, and growing in our faith. Now, I want you to look back at James 5.14 because we need to finish this verse. It says, Is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and pray over them and do what? Anoint them with oil 
in the name of the Lord. That would be in the name of Jesus. Now, again, hold your place there. This passage of Scripture can have a dual meaning. See, anointing with oil uh, has, we see it a lot in the Old Testament. Uh, we see it a little bit in the New Testament, but the principles of anointing with oil remain today. So I want to give you just a little lesson on anointing with oil because this is part of the critical element of dealing with all of this. See, first of all, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, and it manifests different according to the need. Now, un know this is that the oil itself holds no special power. In fact, one of the things you can see is, is like over on the side, there's some little vials there. Maybe you've always wondered what those are. That's just, that's just a little bit of olive oil, and we call that anointing oil. It's not holy water. It's, it's very different, but oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And, and this, the symbolism of the Holy Spirit behind the oil actually connects the spiritual with the physical, and, and amazing things happen. Now, there are examples of this. The Old Testament is full of examples about this. Like if a person is about to be commissioned to an office or a position, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is symbolically placed upon them through the anointing with oil. And, and like in the Old Testament, it would be a, a king or a prophet or a priest or a leader. Today, we do this with ministers and, and with pastors. And the person is set apart and anointed and, and is given, you know, through the anointing, Holy Spirit power so they can accomplish the work that's ahead. Because you really can't fulfill what God wants you to do unless you're anointed. So that's, that's part of the meaning for that. Another example is this, is, is an object or a place would sometimes be anointed with oil. And, it, and this would be symbolically where you are setting it aside for holy purposes. So you're, you're going to say, okay, this is an anointed area. Uh, in the Old Testament, this was done a lot. You're going to see a lot of references to this in the Old Testament where objects even in temple worship and, 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 and places like that would be anointed, even items would be anointed, set apart like with the Holy Spirit placed on them symbolically, but, but it would be anointed for the cause of Christ. Today in, in our culture, today in, in our world, we anoint, we anoint homes. Like if you get a new home, man, I love just a, you should do this. Get a new home, get an apartment, just anoint with oil in the name of Jesus. And, and bless it, bless it, bless it. And we anoint places like that today. And, and it's, like a, it's, it's like for spiritual cleansing. It sets the place apart. Now, another example, and it's as it's used in this passage, if a person is sick and they need supernatural healing through the power of God, that anointing oil is part of the process. See, the Holy Spirit is symbolically placed upon the person so they're anointed, okay? Now, in the Old Testament, this is not even mentioned. In the New Testament, it is mentioned twice, uh, and, and this is where Jesus told his followers, his disciples, and, and the outer, outer rings of his disciples to go out and heal sick people in the name of Jesus and anoint them with oil. So there, that was the precedent. And here in James chapter 5, verse 14, 15, it says the elders of the church should anoint with oil for sick people. So the sick people are to come and ask for, it says you call upon the elders of the church. So don't expect them to come to you. You know, if they do, wonderful. But this is where your faith kicks in. Your faith kicks in when you step out and say, I need someone, I need an elder in this church to anoint with oil to pray a prayer of faith. That's where your faith kicks in. And, and you, you know, if you want to be prayed for for sickness, you say, hey, grab that oil. 
You know, if, if the elder doesn't have oil with them, it's like, would you get that oil over there? When you anoint me with oil, they're not going to have their feelings hurt. They're going to like, yeah, okay, good. So, so we, we anoint with oil, and, and that's when you come forward and you receive prayer. Uh, even during, during the COVID season, when uh, things were kind of crazy, many times people would say, hey, I'm sick. And I'd say, you know, if you want, I'll come to your house. I'll pray for you anoint you with oil. Many times people took me up on that. It was just deeply, deeply rewarding just to release the life and the power and the healing of God through that. But there, there's another passage in the Bible that, does, that talks about anointing with oil in the New Testament, and that is the story of the Good Samaritan, where he was found on the side of the road. And the person anointed him with oil and wine. So very clearly, this anointing was for medical purposes. So oil in the New Testament also represents medicine that promotes healing. I'm not going to go into all the story on Good Samaritan. You can read it on your own. So my tradition regarding anointing, anointing with oil for sick people is based upon these three passages in the New Testament. So yes, you should have church elders pray for you. You ask for prayer. You ask to be anointed with oil, just like the scripture says. Also, if there is medicine you use it. But I know where some people begin to stumble. They said, but what about depression? Okay, but it is a sickness. Is taking medicine for depression wrong? I'll give you a very clear answer on that, and that is no. Medicine is never a lack of trust in God to heal you. I do know of some people who believe that, but that is not true, and it's not upheld in the Scriptures. I want to explain to you the faulty logic in this, okay? So that you understand why I'm saying this. Let me give you the why behind that statement. See, both Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the Bible are called comforter, excuse me, counselor. They're both called counselor in the Bible. And Jesus is also referred to as the great physician. So some Christians will say you are not to see a counselor because the Holy Spirit is to be your counselor. And they'll also say you are not to, you don't need to see doctors because you have the great physician, Jesus. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. And, and my problem with this is if you're going to tell someone who's suffering from depression that they are not trusting God enough and they, and they, 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 just, they have a problem because they're not trusting God, that they don't need medicine, then you have to apply that same logic to a diabetic who is going to a doctor and taking insulin and telling them, well, you just need to stop taking your medicine because you're just not trusting God enough. That's not right. If taking medicine prescribed for depression will help you be a better parent, a better employee, a better spouse, a better leader, a better neighbor. It's, God might actually be using medicine to help heal you, and he does. Truth be told, I don't care how God heals you. I just want you healed. <laughs> I want you better. So just let it happen. Don't make it so weird. Think of it this way. If your liver was shutting down, and I said, today we are now introducing the pill that will stop livers from shutting down. It has been tested and approved, even by the FDA and by God. I mean, let's say, would you take that pill? You better bet you would. If, you're, if your liver is shutting down, like, you don't have a choice. Well, what is your liver? Your liver is an organ. What is your brain? When the neurotransmitters aren't transmitting appropriately and you think you're going to go swim out into the ocean and start grabbing fish and eating them like Gollum or something like that. And, and, 
and, and you're going to like shoot up on drugs and you're scared of needles and, and you're going to leave your family. Okay, think about that. You, you hear what I'm saying? When the neurotransmitters aren't working right in your brain and there's medicine that will help with that, that's an organ also, just like your liver. So, you see the difference there? There, it's, like it's, it's really, it really all works. So, bottom line, if you're, if you're using medicine and you're seeing a therapist, you are not less of a Christian for doing so. So, just need to stop feeling that way, and don't you dare let anyone tell you that. See... What God is doing, God is using a different means to bring about your healing. And you receive counseling. Go to professional counselors. And I am not a professional counselor. I'll pray for you, and I'll give you a little a few nudges, and I'll share with you the Word of God, but don't come to me for counseling. And I wouldn't come to me for counseling. But, but get, get counseling, and, and don't abandon counseling. Don't abandon medicine. And do not, church, this is the main point here, do not abandon getting anointed with oil by church elders. Do not abandon that. Get help. Stick with the process. And hear me well, even if it takes years. James 5.15. Look at it. Look at it. It says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person what? Well. The Lord will raise him up. There's a supernatural element which too many believers are not leaning into, and I want you to lean into that. And it says if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So, so hold your place there. I mean, you might say, well, how quick does this happen? Well, uh, occasionally, rarely, sickness is healed instantaneously. It does. I've seen it. I've witnessed that with my own eyes. I've experienced it in my body. But the vast majority of the time, healing is a process. There's a process of healing. It says the Lord will raise them up. It didn't just say all of a sudden they're going to bounce on their feet and be perfect in one second. And it also said, if they sin, it will be forgiven. Now, how in the world did sin get mixed into this whole story about being anointed with oil? See, this is something that Protestants leave out too much, and the Catholics are pretty good at. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. If you're a Catholic and you think I'm always ripping on Catholics, now's your time to say, uh-huh, I knew, I knew, I knew we had some of this stuff going right, all right? But... If you're going through any of these things, before again, before you, if you're going through any of these things and you're praying for Jesus to change your circumstances, please understand, God may not change your circumstances, but he definitely wants to change you in the midst of your circumstances. <clears throat> Fear, anxiety, uh, depression, suicidal thoughts, they often, though, not all the time, but they often are the result, and I would say most often are the result of sin. Now, here, here's how this works. It could be a sin you have committed. Or it could be a sin of somebody else that has directly impacted your life. Possibly your spouse walked out on you and had an affair. Maybe you were rejected by your father or your mother or both. Possibly someone sinned against you by molesting you. Maybe you were betrayed or abandoned and you've never really been able to fully deal with it. And if you don't deal with it, then it becomes toxic. It becomes bitterness and hatred and resentment and all types of emotions start flaring up. And this toxicity gets into your mind and it can like begin to kill your soul. Your soul is your emotions, your mind, and your will. That's why for me, when, the, when I was in the middle of my pain 14 years ago, the biggest issue for me is that I needed to forgive the people who had sinned against me and who had sinned against my children and my wife 
And I, then I needed to deal with the sin in my own life. I needed to identify it, address it, and repent, it, repent of it and get it out of my life. Now look at verse 16, James 5, 16. So it says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Some people will just take that line and say, well, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, and they take it completely out of the context, but there's a whole context you have to put this into right here. So first of all, if others have sinned against you, someone can pray for you. If you've not forgiven them, somebody could be praying for you, but you're still, you've still got your issues, because, and their prayers are not powerful and effective for you because you didn't do the stuff that was in the verses ahead of this. Is it okay if I tell you the truth? Yeah, that, that's why a lot of people say, well, somebody prayed for me, nothing happened. Well, Billy Bob, let me tell you, you need to read up a few other scriptures here and walk through a process. If your name is Billy or Bob, I wasn't trying to attack you there, all right? I'm happy for your business up the road. But, but if other people have, I'm really not happy about that business, but it's just, right, great, just start tithing. All right, if, if others have sinned against you, then you, you, and you've not forgiven them, you can't be forgiven. You hear me? If others have sinned against you and you have not forgiven them, you can't be forgiven. Those are not nice words to say, but it's truth, and I'm being very nice in telling you that is the truth. And, and so what will happen, even with you, your hidden sin, you begin hiding your, that sin in your own life, and that hidden sin becomes a barrier to your own healing. But when sin is confessed, when you forgive, and when sin is confessed, powerful and effective prayers are released for the healing of sickness. And, and, and you, when you tell someone, you don't have to go into a lot of detail. You just simply need to say, start off by saying something like this. Just, just say, okay, I, I am not okay, and I don't want to stay that way. All right, you're on the right track to confessing. You're on the right track to receiving healing. You're opening the door to powerful and effective prayers. Let's go back to my story. What God revealed to me during my season of uh, depression was the sin that Tim Woody had to deal with. Something holy and powerful happened to me. I don't talk about it much because I feel like I'm touching a holy thing. But I want to tell you this. I was at that condo away from my family at this other property where I was designing this feeble strategic attack plan on myself to end it all. And I was in a very, very, very dark place. But there was someone who loves me and loved me and knew that I was doing very bad. It was my wife, Rebecca. She was praying. I'll never forget this moment. Alone at 3.30 a.m., October 19th, 2008, I woke up to the sound of a voice in the condo. Now, I want you to understand, I, I have this deal worked out with God. I'm not encouraging to set up deals with God, but I, I have this little thing with God. We, we, we talk about this, and it works. But I just say, God, you know, ever since I had kids, I used to sleep all through the night, and then I had kids, and that, it's just like, 
I don't even sleep all through the night anymore. It messes you up. Those of you who are parents, you totally get it. Those of you who are single, you're going, oh, no, is that going to happen to me? Yeah. So I said, God, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night. I don't know whether I'm supposed to pray or not or whatever. So it better be a pretty strong, very clear that I need to pray or just wake me up at 3.33 a.m. I just said, God, just wake me up at that time. So I'll look at the time. If it's 3.33 a.m., then I know that God woke me up. And that means that God wants to talk to me or I need to pray. And, and I, that has taken the guesswork out of this so many times. It really has. So what happens is I wake up and, and I'll be wide awake and look at the time. 3.33, okay, this is a God moment. Well, no time, no, I mean, no kidding, this time I was in this dark bedroom, this dark condo. I mean, totally pitch black dark. The only light was in there was just a little alarm clock that was there in the room. And I heard this voice just like this. What are you doing? Uh, I couldn't see anything. I was wide awake. I was afraid to move. And I just looked with my eyes over and I saw it was 3.33. My heart was racing my eyes were wide open and, and my, my first initial thought was there's somebody here in the condo but then, but then logic kicked in and I'm realizing, no, they would say what are you doing? You know, they would have a, they would have a Mexican accent yeah. or they would say it in Spanish which I wouldn't even know what they were saying no, I'm, I'm serious, that's what's going through my head and it's okay, it's okay, I mean, I'm, I'm married to a Mexican so I can, I can use that, alright my father-in-law would be very proud of me right now I have to take his text messages to my wife and say, can you help me with these words? You know, so, but I knew instantly somebody is not here because no one around here talks like that. And when I kind of came to my senses and I realized that I believe this is God. as clear as can be. If God, if God has ever spoken to me audibly, and I, God usually doesn't speak to people audibly, audibly but I, I needed a good kick, and God gave it to me. God very clearly told me, go back to your family in the morning and start the process of healing. I have a plan for your life. It took me an hour or so to go back to sleep, but I did, and next morning I, I did. I left. I I gained the courage to go back and gave my wife a big hug. She was so happy to see me. Kids really didn't know where I was. They're like, hey, Daddy, did you have a good trip? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but, and then I called my pastor. This is the value of having someone in your life in spiritual authority. Everyone needs that. As a pastor, I have a pastor. And this has been a pastor of mine now for, my goodness, about 30 years. And this pastor, I, I called him up, and I told him what happened. I just told him the whole story. And he listened. And you know what? He was nice to me. <laughs> at one point, he even laughed at me. And I, I laughed back. Because at that moment, some of the neurons are 
transmitters, whatever. I mean, they were starting to fire a little bit, and I laughed. He prayed for me. He believed in me. And I realized at that moment, for me, for the first time, really, as far as a person in ministry, that it's okay to not be okay. Well, it's just not okay to stay that way. He set up a plan where I had to check in with him every other day, and I did. And I, I, I knew then, I knew at that point that I could recover. I no longer wanted to destroy myself. And those thoughts have never come back, thank God. But what I did next was I forgave those people who sinned against me, who sinned against my wife, who sinned against my children, who even sinned against my church. And that was also a process. I had to keep doing that. It took a while. I kept doing it. And at the same time then, I, I confessed my sin of habitually breaking the fourth commandment. Now, some of you got really excited there. I'm going to find out what his sin is. I'm going to go look up the commandments. Well, good, do it. But I, I confessed my sin of breaking the fourth commandment while I was pastoring. And it was based out of fear of man. And that I just had to work harder and harder and harder because I believe if I just put forth enough effort to win these people over, they won't be causing me and my children and my wife and, and my church so much trouble. But it was sin. See, that's when the healing for depression began for me. It took a long time. As soon as I got back, churches, I mean, some wonderful churches started contacting me and say, hey, we hear you're available for ministry. And, and I'm, like, I'm in no condition to pastor right now. And the healing began. I, I began to see a Christian therapist who specialized in pastors. Wonderful thing it was, it was my psychology professor from Bible college. We had long relationship, and, and I would receive prayer. And I'll tell you this much, I am a changed man. I look back today at how low I was back in 2008, and I'm like, wow, I was really, really low. But I want to tell you this, if you're dealing with fear, anxiety, depression, suicide thoughts of any type, Know this, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. If you don't struggle with any of this, then you're educated now. But one thing for sure is you will never, ever tell a person who's struggling with these things, just get over it. You need to pray more. You, you just need to trust God more. Obviously, you're not reading the Bible enough. Your, your faith isn't high enough. No, instead, because I had all that, instead, what you will have is compassion you'll have compassion because I'm here to tell you perfect people do not exist now I have wrestled with this message this is one of the toughest messages I've preached this is not an easy sermon to preach because it doesn't make me look like Teflon man, super pastor man of faith and power. But I didn't share this for my benefit. I shared this for you. Because Jesus is your healer and you can have a sound mind. Uh, the uh, worship team and band, guys, come up here on the platform. 
So what, what do we do with this? Well, the scriptures tell us we're supposed to act on what we hear. And we're going to do that in this setting today. I want you to listen clearly to me. I'm, I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation here. I want, I want everybody to be saved, first of all. But we're going to have a prayer ministry time. And elders will be called up here soon to anoint with oil. Um, and if you're, if you, hear me, hear me well. well this, is, this is pretty broad, but I want you to hear me. If you are struggling with any level of this, it could just be fear and worry. But understand the continuum that I showed you at the beginning. You, you, you need to be careful to not fall into that continuum. But if fear or worry, maybe it's anxiety, which is what I preached about last Sunday. It could be depression. Or maybe you're in and out of depression or just full-blown. You, you're, you're stuck there. Or possibly possibly even suicide thoughts. I don't, I don't know where you are. But I'm going to ask you to please come and receive prayer and be ask them. Say, will you anoint me with oil? And if there's something you need to confess, again, you don't have to go into detail. You, you can confess us in there. And you can even use that opportunity. We'll do it here in just a second just to release forgiveness to people who have wounded and hurt you <clears throat> so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be healed, so that, their so that their prayers will be powerful and effective. Jesus, though, is the healer, and you can have a sound mind. And then when you leave here, if there are some, th some things you need to do regarding counseling or seeing a doctor, do it. Do it. Do it. Let's, let's just to close our eyes for just a moment. If there's any of you here this morning that you're not in right relationship with Jesus, you're not in relationship with Him, but you're, you're not serving the Lord, and you know you want to change that. You want the redeeming power of Jesus Christ to flow into your life. Let me ask you at the count of three to lift your hand because I'm going to pray for you. We're going to pray together, and you're going to receive Jesus Christ today. So if that's you, if you need Jesus, you need your... You're ready to turn your life around. Lift your hand up to count of three. One, two, three. Lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands down. All right. Individuals who raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And uh, church, congregation, I want you to pray it as well as an encouragement to the people who are around you. Even as a reaffirmation of your faith. Pray these words out. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin cleanse me in your precious blood today I give up my past and I embrace the future that you have for me I thank you today that I am healed that I am saved and that I have an eternity with you and I'm looking forward to it <laughs> in Jesus name amen I, next thing I want you to do Again, if you, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to be sure and fill out one of those next cards and take it out to the floor because I do have a gift for you. We want to connect with you also regarding this. But there's a second thing. That's forgiveness. I didn't preach on forgiveness today. I, I do that quite often because it's so important. But if there's, if you've not released forgiveness to people who have hurt you, that may be the reason why the prayers are not powerful and effective. Let's get that out of the way. Can, can, will you do that? people who have hurt you, maybe they've hurt your family maybe they've hurt your business just release them right now and 
release them. Just if you could see them right now, just even picture them in your mind. Although it's probably not a pleasant sight, just whisper, "I forgive you." I know they're not here, but just say, "I forgive you." Forgive you. I release forgiveness. I release and release that person to the Lord. Just release them to the Lord. Release them. Release them. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.